This is the Final Whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Mark Griffiths, and you'll be immediately disappointed to hear that neither Long is with us today for Dragonheart. It's just me and Neil Williams, but we promise we're going to give you a bit of a treat. But firstly, how are you doing, Neil? I'm doing all right, Mark. It seems strange to be over in Wrexham so early on a match night. Well, <laughs> coming up to a match night, but yes. Uh... Yeah. Well, we'd better explain that, hadn't we? we had, yes, yeah, yeah. We've had some problems, uh, which means that we've had to record this before the Maidenhead game. So please don't tell me the result. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid it so I can commentate on it later and seem surprised. <laughs> but we do have the Ultramoon game to have a chat about. And also, we will talk about the first part of the. The tragedy that's gone through Wrexham, yeah. yeah, the tragedy that's happened with the club, the problems the club has had. So this year, this time, after chatting about the Ultramon game, we'll have a little chat about what happened in the Gutterman Hamilton years. So stay tuned. This is Dragonheart. I'm Liam McLendon and this is Dragonheart. Well, I'm feeling happy already, Neil. Firstly, because the one time I've actually driven the desk here in Callan FM studios, I double-clicked something that should be clicked, leading to lots of awkward silences and confusion. So I managed to differentiate between one click and two. Secondly, because look what Aaron, our legendary studio manager, legendary bloke has done. If you're watching on video, if you're listening to a podcast or Callan, this visual thing might not work quite that well. Although carving pumpkins went down, down quite well last <laughs> week. One of the radio staples um, that they, he has prepared for us a beautiful picture on an easel of Ryan Reynolds hugging Rob McElhenney. Now, may not be their bodies... In fact, Rob McElhenney, below his lustrous black hair, has got a lot of blonde hair there. But nonetheless, it's, it's a beautiful tribute to our owners. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll be hearing from their lawyers in due course. Oh, no. <laughs> or, or, or copyrights even, you know, for the image, you know. Absolutely. That I could mean, be the new Wrexham image, you know, going up yeah. you know, on that but next balloon going above the race course. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a thought. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to see that on a blimp. Surely I'm the next one on a blimp. I'm in the queue. <laughs> it's not fair. The, anyway, let, should we move on to more mundane things like Wrexham walloping Altrincham on Saturday? Yeah, it was a comfortable win, wasn't it? I would, I would say it was my one of our best performances of the season mm. for a whole 90 minutes. I mean, everybody's moaning that you know we only play the first half or second half, but I think on Saturday we played so much better as a team. Mm. But there's still fans complaining that, you know, we weren't at it for 90 minutes. I think, well, come on, guys. You know, you've got to take your foot off the gas for, for a breather. You know, every goal was a fantastic goal. You know, I would say it's more of the best four goals we've scored in a single game. Yeah. It brought back memories of, remember that crazy Gateshead game when Rose dribbled through the whole Gateshead team? And we scored four in that game, and he scored another beauty, which is completely forgotten about because of that astonishing first one. But like uh-huh. I say, the, a game like that where you score a lot of goals, and they're really good ones as well, was, I mean, the, the, the quality of them. I mean, let's go through them first. Mullins overhead oh kick. Wow. <laughs> that was, you know, quality, quality. Mm. You, you don't see, I mean, you see that in the Premiership. You know, that, the way you just saw the ball coming over the right height and thought, right, I'm going to do an overhead kick with this. And to know his awareness of where the goal was as well, you know, didn't catch the defender behind him, which is great because I yeah. think the referee might have given a free kick. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, a great, great goal, you know, which any any Premiership team would have been happy to have in their, on their team. And well, you say that, but if you think about the great overhead goals in the history of the Premier League, like mm-hmm. Rooney's overhead goal in the Manchester derby. Yeah. I mean, he shinned that. He got lucky. <laughs> he shinned it. Mullen meant it. Made the proper contact with yeah, it, he did. and was also alert enough to realise that he didn't have to overhit it, which meant he probably would have missed. He just had to make good contact and and let the pace of the ball do the work. Totally in control, and knew exactly what he was doing. You know, I, none of us expected it. Mm. We thought he might take it down and try and turn in, but yeah, sublime, sublime. I, I enjoy his audacity. Mm-hmm. I enjoy yeah. his, his vision, yeah. his thought process of, oh, yeah, have a go at this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking of two other examples this season, which didn't come off, but were lovely. Um, there was a game, I can't remember who it was now, and we got a corner because he chased the ball to the corner flag and, and managed to knock it off a defender. Mm-hmm. Nobody else had kept up with him. And so he, I think it was when he won 6-0, I think, the Torquay game, I think. So, I mean, so he plonked the ball down and tried to take the corner immediately and score because the goalkeeper was standing on his penalty spot shouting at the defenders as they came back, never expected him to try that. He tried and kill it in, did he? Yeah, and he hit yeah. the side netting. Yeah. He's probably about two yards short of, of achieving it. And then the other one was in the Altrincham game where the ball was hit towards him in the second half and it was a difficult one for him to, to control. He turned his back on it to try and create space, yeah. let it hit his back, and, and tried, tried to bounce it off his back, the other side, the defender, and run round yeah. the other way. It didn't yeah. work. Yeah. But, oh. His footballing brain is yeah. fantastic. You know, He's always thinking of, how am I going to skin this guy? And he's got mm-hmm. pace as well, which is really what I yeah. really like. You know, And that goal at Weymouth last season, I remember Barry Horn was commentating for a national broadcaster. So, of course, you know, we don't want to mention him here no. on Callon. We don't, don't sully ourselves with such matters. But... <laughs> He was commenting, and I saw a lot of people mocking Barry Horn because they said he compared Mullin to Pele. But when I actually saw what he described, I thought, right, okay, yeah, I mean, you don't compare Mullin to Pele in terms of achievements or anything like that. But what Mullin did in that game was exactly what Pele did in the 70 World Cup against Czechoslovakia, running at the keeper, balls coming across him. He pretends he's going to hit it and steps over the ball, runs round the keeper, and shoots. The yeah. keeper's absolutely bewildered. The only difference between Mullen and Pelle in that manoeuvre was Pelle, having done that so amazingly, then missed, whereas Mullen scored. <laughs> so yeah. people mocked uh, Barry Horn for comparing uh, him to Pelle. He's I better mean, than Pelle, Neil. He's better than Pelle. Yeah, yeah, you think back to the you know the games against Stockport last season, you know, with two, two great goals, you know, with mm. his vision again to to chase that long ball from from our keeper yeah. over the top and then just lob their keeper. Mm. And then to skin their defence and do virtually the exactly the same thing yeah. with the second goal. You know, his his football brain is is, is fantastic. And, and my biggest worry is both him and Palmer come January. Is anybody going to come in for those two guys, you know? They're going to have to pay top dollar. Oh, they? I'm sure they are. But, you know, that would be a big, big yeah. crush on the team, you know, to lose any of those two. I think I'd be more worried if I was not County about yeah, yeah, Corey yeah. Langstaff. Yeah, I think um, they're already worried about yeah. losing them players already because I think not County maybe wanting the money more than we needed money in Brexit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's going to be their biggest worry. I think you're right as well. You're saying about the Stockport game. That reminds me as well of that Gateshead match I mentioned before in uh-huh. 2015, yeah. where Vose scores a phenomenal goal. And then another beauty that people neglect because we're all just amazed by that first one. Um, Mullin against Stockport. 
I mean, that first goal is goal of the season, no question, yeah, for yeah. its quality and for its importance. But his second goal is such a glorious goal. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's one-on-one with the keeper, you fancy him to score, but the way he flicked it really high I over the keeper's head and yeah. then controlled it, I, I wouldn't have the capability to flick, make the first flick, but I promise you, if I executed that correctly, I would then you make still a total catch mess. The yeah, ball. I'd still miscontrol it in front of the open goal and it would dribble out for a goal kick, you know. Um, so it, it, it was just an absolutely ludicrous goal, and yet because of the one he'd scored literally two minutes earlier, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think that one gets the credit either. No, no. And, and, you know, this one's going to be goal of the season, I'm sure, mm. what he scored on Saturday. Well, is it because unless you can match it again tonight, you know? Well, that's very true. Yeah, he always got he's got another thirty odd games to go. Of course, in. yeah. Uh, you say it's goal of the season, but was James Jones's goal goal of the season? Oh, that was a lovely that, goal. That was a team goal, wasn't it? Mm. Well, well worked. You know, one again would have fitted any Premiership, you know, play field. The one touches that the passes mm. was absolutely first class. You couldn't have asked, you know, the way they passed through the old yeah. defence was. Yeah, and, and James Jones just started, started in the corner there. I, I missed it on the day because I was doing yes. the PA data, so I was <laughs> busy texting sports desk with all, all the, you know, the subs that gone on. So I actually missed the goal, but I've seen it on the replay, and it's a, a fantastic goal again. Yeah, that we, any of those goals we caught, scored on Saturday could be there, yeah. thereabouts at the end of the season. I noticed that you missed it um, because I edited this afternoon the, the highlights of our commentary because I videoed us. And I was looking at it, and yeah, I could see you were looking down. And just just as he's about to score, you sort of look up because you hear everyone's getting very excited. But um, it was it was a lovely goal, and, and the, the, the slickness of the passing, yeah. the, everything was inch perfect. And I know this is a really stupid thing to say, but heck, I've said stupid things before, and I'm starting to th- enjoy and it. It won't be the last. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The um, I wish. We'd saved it for a big game because no defence is going to, no defence will repel that move. It was glorious. No, no. <laughs> but we may see after the big games as well doing yeah. exactly the same things because this team is growing and growing each game. You know, yeah. whoever we take off or bring on, it only solidifies the team and actually, you know, it doesn't detract from the team. Where last season, if we brought a sub on, we thought, yeah. oh. but now we've got the subs coming on with quality. And it's not going to change our performance whatsoever in anything. It just gives us a spur because you've got the extra energy to play. That's, um, that's right. I mean, in terms of strength and depth, I was... Right, I may get this stat slightly wrong, but I remember the FA Trophy final looking at the subs and seeing that I think only two of them were still at the club at the start of this season. And I think Hyde might have been one of those two. Right. So, you know, looking to change the game, a couple of injuries that really decimated our strength and depth and Parkinson yeah. looks at the bench and thinks well who's going to actually alter this whereas now Lee yeah. Dolby Tunnicliffe's only played the last three games and he's been outstanding ah. you know, it's, it's going to be difficult for Clareth to come back in with Tunnicliffe yeah. playing yeah. you know and, but same, I think, same for Mondy with, uh, Mendy Mendy's I'm, 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 come back I'm told call him Mendy so I'm going to stick to it mm-hmm. but you know McFadden's done yeah he had a great game on Saturday you couldn't fault any of our players on Saturday mm-hmm. even the subs came on and, and did the job you know so Great all-round performance. I have to pull you up on one thing, O'Neill, and myself. We've gone through all this, talked about a lot of lovely stuff. We've not mentioned the bloke we picked as man of the match, Ollie Palmer. Mm-hmm. He scored two lovely yeah, goals himself. He, he did. Very impressive, wasn't and he? And his pose on the edge of the pitch when he's posing as uh, the <laughs> yes. Deadpool is, is fantastic, you know. <laughs> Very good. I think somebody's actually put him next to a Deadpool picture on, 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 on Facebook yeah. somewhere. 
it's um, as a photographer, you'd appreciate that as yeah. well. I think the fact that that was captured and the recognition of the moment. Uh, funnily enough, um, I've written for the leader next week about our photography at the club mm-hmm. because I think it's it's brilliant from a, just from a quality point of view, from an artistic point of view, but also from the point of view of selling the club because yeah. good images can be can sum up so much in in an instant, especially on social media. But I was also reflecting on the fact that we used to have Les Evans, who was the legendary photographer for the leader. On his own. On his own, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly my point. And now. we have two, maybe three photographers yes. on there, plus yeah. a videographer yeah. filming. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we were, I remember the 93 game at Northampton when we got promoted, it was a heck of an occasion. And I managed to get there after work to Northampton. I'm proud of myself. Uh, speaking you as a finish teacher. finish at three o'clock, Mark. So oh, yeah, fine. speaking as a teacher. Half three. Now, come on, be fair. I put in the shift. I'm at the coal face. <laughs> you know? I'm at the coal face almost until it starts to get a little bit darker. Um, um, I was very impressed to see how many pupils were there who had taken a day off because they were ill. Um, <laughs> but unluckily for them, were right in front of me in the queue to get in the away end. But anyway, well, at least one of them was Dixie's son, so I let him off. They were my football team, so I wasn't going to do anything about it. And then being in that packed away end, which was a temporary stand, it felt like it would collapse at any minute. And Gary Bennett scores, and one of my most iconic memories, images of following Wrexham, Bennett scoring, following the ball into the net, and just sticking his face through the net, screaming with all the Wrexham fans screaming at him. It was amazing. And Paul S. Evans, of course. Did he capture that? And he did and he didn't. Okay. He took a picture of it, mm-hmm. and it's a great picture, but, you know, no matter how great a photographer you are, when he's capturing live action, you can't anticipate exactly where that would happen. No. And, and like I said, my angle in the crowd, perfect, right behind him, to see the emotion on his face, whereas Les was you know, naturally where he should be, oh, you know, the side of it. Mm-hmm. The angle sort of shows it, but it's nowhere near as potent as it was because you can only take a picture from where he is. You can't read into the future. Whereas now with a team... You wouldn't catch anybody standing right behind the net, that would you? Well, exactly. I mean, you you know, why would you be there? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) You'd get one good photo a season. You'd just get a couple of good pictures of penalties, wouldn't you? And that'd be it. So he's in the right position. Mm -hmm. But as it happens, Gary Bennett then did that. So, um, yeah, it's it's great to have no a team mobile. of photographers to capture moments like Ollie Palmer's uh, yeah. Deadpool tribute. But no mobile phones in days either, or the whole yes, that's true. crowd oh, would have yeah. done the same thing. See? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I tried to do a painting of it, but I'm not, I'm not that quick, and I wasn't then. You know, quickly got the easel out, bit of oil paint. I'm sure. I sold her as a Rothko, don't you worry about that. So impressive against Altrincham. Yeah, uh, sellout crowd. You know, you couldn't have got a <gasps> yeah. ticket for the game. Yeah. Biggest crowd of the season, and I'm sure it'll be ex- exactly the same as Maidenhead. I'm sure there'll be a lot less away support at Maidenhead, so it might not be quite ten thousand. Stop predicting the future when everyone listening to this knows it already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's listening to this now, thinking only three thousand there. What was going wrong? <laughs> And the Maidenhead hordes coming up from Hertfordshire. I want to say Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it was it was a brilliant all-round performance. It was. And, and like you said, yeah. uh, sustained. Mm-hmm. Despite yeah. the fact that some people said we were off for a bit, I don't think we were. Other games we have been. Yeah, I don't think we were off. But you have to take a break. You have to take a yeah. breather. You know, with, if you just pass it on the back four, you know, or five. Yeah. Even for five minutes, just so to give you, you know, give mm. you your strikers a, a rest and, yeah. and your defenders. You know? We let them have the ball and they didn't trouble us, so we yeah. were quite comfortable. We had a little breather, mm-hmm. letting them have the ball, passing around in front of us. Yeah. 
So that was no problem. I thought it was telling that after the match, Andy Morell and Wayne Phillips both said up in the commentary area they, they thought it was the best performance of the season. Yeah, I, I'd agree with yeah. them. Because yeah. it was consistent, wasn't it? For, yeah, for the whole 90 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Well, I've bought yeah. time trying to remember my other stat, and I've got it now. I've remembered it now. So how can you talk and think at the same time, eh? Um, You're a I've teacher. Got, <laughs> I'm a bluffer. I'll give you that much, Neil. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got a USB port in the back of my head so that I can use in emergencies. <laughs> Unfortunately, it won't actually power me, otherwise I'd be laughing. Um, the, <coughs> the last 12 league games that we've played, mm-hmm. four of them have had crowds in excess of 10,000. Uh, and let's be honest, they all would have been if we were able to fill the right end. number of away ends. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. But especially when you consider that before these last 12 league games, we've had two... 10,000 plus league attendances since 1980. Yeah. We had two in 42 years and now four in 12 matches. That's, a, that's makes, a transformation, isn't it? That's amazing. And it makes you wonder where were all these fans you know, two years ago? Don't, don't question it. When we needed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. But it's great to see the race course fall, isn't it, Mark? You know, and the atmosphere, it makes a huge difference to the atmosphere and the players yeah. keep saying, you know, it makes a huge difference to them as well mm-hmm. to come out on that pitch and see a, a full stadium. And that bar in the cup, which is empty, and that familiarity mm-hmm. as well. I know that sounds daft. I know, you know home advantage is a thing, but these Wrexham players, more than any Wrexham team I think I've ever seen, you can see they feel at yeah, home. It, it, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's at home. The yeah. fan, they know the fans, they know the feelings, the yeah. sensations. Yeah. They feel they're going to hit back if they go behind. Yeah. There's yeah. no panic. No. The Halifax game didn't panic, just, just drew them in. And the fact that we were scoring, what is it now, in league games at home, an average of four and a quarter goals yeah. per match. And in 2022, before the Maidenhead game, averaging nearly four, I think it's just over three and a half goals per game in league, in league games. Yeah. You know, they, we have goal power. We expect to score. We expect to take it but, the game to teams. County still have a better goal difference than us. Meh. Who they won't. Don't worry about How it. can that be? They, 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 good luck to them. They, they, they're pushing themselves beyond their limits, and soon they will, they will yeah. burn up on re-entry in the atmosphere. Bromley will have been a tough game for them. Yeah. Stop looking into the future. Everyone listening knows what happened. I, I might not know what's happened. You don't know. It hasn't happened yet. I know. Oh, this is deep. This is <laughs> flaming now. <laughs> Maybe we should move on from the Altrincham game. Like, oh no, there's one other thing I'd like to say. Mark Howard, who some people aren't totally sure about, three good saves I thought on on Saturday. Yeah. I, I don't that, think it made a difference to the result, but no. good goalkeeping. That tip over from the free kick was yeah. was spectacular. You know, I, I don't think you you actually see that initially when he when they take the free kick. You think he's, he's just blasted over the bar, but he does get his fingertips yeah. to it. You know, he was in the right position and he got to the ball and, and pushed over for a, a corner. Yeah, and. Um, I don't think the other two were that difficult to save. One came straight to him, I think, down his right down the throat. Mm. And one... The first half one, right at the end of the first half, low down to his left. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. think it was a cracking save, I thought that. I mean, the, the Altican player, Con Clark, he's managed to drivel, drive, drivel, drive right into the heart of our penalty area. Yeah. He's about eight yards out. The way it's sitting on his foot, his left foot, you think... He's going to try and curl this inside the far post, and instead he's bluffed. 
Howard and really hit, hit it hard from about eight yards inside the post. And we were right behind it. And I was thinking, oh, it's over there. He's just, he just nailed it. You know, shortest route from A to B. Mm-hmm. Keepers probably edging the other way. And Howard got down so well to get a good strong hand push around the post. I thought that was a smash and save that. Yeah, he's grown in confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a, two, a couple of dodgy games at the beginning of the season, but he's, yeah, you know, yeah. he's solid now. You know, it'll take a lot yeah. for either our sub-keepers to come back in and take his place mm-hmm. right now. So, yeah. I always think as a, as a goalkeeping snob, because that's what I am, mm-hmm. I have always felt outfield, outfield players don't understand goalkeepers. And I've always well, felt that... They make a mistake. They've got college, they, they've got players on the pitch who can actually <laughs> yeah, rectify the yeah, mistake. Yeah. Keeper makes a mistake. Yeah. It's all down on him, really, isn't it? Exactly. But I think as well, EDS, most managers are outfield players. Yeah. And, I, and I sometimes look at a manager's decision over a goalkeeper and think, you've not judged that correctly. You're, you're, being, you're seeing the wrong thing about a goalkeeper. I felt, you know, sometimes people get excited over easy saves and aren't excited over really good, difficult saves. Yeah. And I always think a good rule of thumb is imagine that shot going in. How would What would have to happen for the keeper to let that past him? So I think you're right. That third one he made in extra time, I think it's a really good save. It's good reflexes. But it's really struck well. But if you imagine that getting past him... It would have changed the game. Well, not, not that, but it, it's, yeah, it's it, a save it I'd expect him to make. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent shot, and he's done well to deal with it, and he's pushed it away out of danger, so it's really good goalkeeping. But for it to actually go directly in, he's, he's going to have to misjudge that a bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas the free kick one, like you said, his footwork's good. You know, sometimes you tip something over and people get excited, but it was direct above your head, and you just can't catch it because it's too high. But, yeah. you know, he didn't control the situation, but he had to backpedal for that, and he did it really quickly to make it, Look simple, but you know you could imagine that getting over a keeper's head, yeah. and then that first one, to me, when he hit it, I just thought goal. <laughs> That's a goal that is, and he's got down and pushed around the post. Uh, fair play to him. It was good caliber saves. Although I do feel we were totally in control. I mean, we could have scored more than the four. So yeah, and you can see that you know, you know, clean sheet for the first time mm-hmm. in you know a few games at home since the Torquay game. Yeah. So, but you can see the confidence, you know, because you've got keepers making good saves, the defence look stronger they look mm. more confident um, and it, it runs through the whole team then I think you know if, if, you, mm. if your defence is a bit worried about your keeper <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're more likely to make a mistake and yeah. put that pressure back on your goalkeeper you know so it's it's a two way thing and I think they've got that balance really right now with you know the confidence between the keeper and the defence that, that you know that Saturday showed it well we defended very well when we needed to keeper made two three saves which he needed to do um, and they were confident, you know, it was a good game to watch. Do you think uh, Tony Cliff coming in has brought that solidity? I don't yeah. think it's a criticism of Clueworth, who's been no. excellent, but give him a break, is put Tony Cliff in. Wow. He's a big lad, Tony Cliff, isn't he? He's going to take a lot moving off the ball, yeah. but his touch has been very good, his mm. vision's been good, but Toes' vision, yeah. last couple of days, yeah. is passing spectacular. Mm. Yeah. yeah, From the centre of the pitch out to the wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great, great passing. So. Yeah. You know, um, I used to think of Toza as the Cheltenham Beckenbauer, but in Germany now, they see Beckenbauer as the Bavarian Toza. I, I, I can quite imagine, Mark, <laughs> yes. I can quite imagine. His passing's terrific, isn't it? Yeah. He pings oh, those diagonals. And so inch perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what, when we're playing well, it's one of the key features, isn't it? We'll, mm-hmm. we'll go wide. 
we'll draw the team across. We'll we'll invite the danger of losing the ball because we're confident that we're on the ball. We won't make mistakes, and then it's feed it back. Pingles with the other side, they're exposed, and we're yeah. and we're in. And I'm, I'm sure you know half the fans don't watch the game that we're actually watching half the time. You know because they say you know, toes is just mm-hmm. a one one. What do I say? One, one, one donkey. Pony. One trip pony, that's the one. <laughs> a one pony donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Just a throw in, man. But he's not, yeah. you know, he's, no. he's far, far yeah. more. And, you know, to criticise him and say, because his, his throw-ins are not working. Yeah, they're not working, but they, they did mix it up a bit on Saturday, yeah. you know. Went for a short one or somebody else took it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've scored a number of goals from our throw-ins in, yeah. you know, last season. So, but no, I, I'm, I'm impressed by his passing mm-hmm. skills as well. I, the throw-ins, it's interesting because is that his fault if we haven't scored from the throws? He's putting the balls in the same areas. Well, but the play's not in the right place, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Uh, maybe people are getting a bit wiser. Out, yeah. As we saw Halifax on a block off Hayden. Yeah. I don't want to make too much of a case for teams working out Hayden as he scored eight goals already yeah. and it's only just the start of November. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know if that's his fault. And Another stat that said that only two of our out players have not scored this season. Gosh. That's, a, that's remarkable, isn't it? And yeah. to be fair to McFadden, who's one of them, he's gone close so many times since hit he's come post. to the club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hit the bar. Yeah, he's he's a he's a very dangerous looking player. Yes, yeah, he? yeah. And it was nice to see O'Connor come on Saturday as well. Yes, exactly. And he, again, I think they all need game time yeah. to get up to speed with how we play. Mm, exactly. Thinking back to Tozer as well, the thing is that you don't just score goals from the throw directly in fact we didn't score all that many directly from his throws being headed straight in last season we did a couple no, but it's a confusion it creates yeah, and it's also the second balls it creates I yeah. mean one of the things, ironically he, I think had you gone no he hadn't um, Toza's brother came up to say hello to us after he did the, yeah on Saturday game. that's correct and he, he doesn't look like him at all not at all he's no. a lot smaller than him <laughs> but he, he he was claiming that you know his coach as a thrower wasn't he yes he was yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming his tongue was firmly in cheek then, but who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's that was his gift to us. But um, certainly, when you know the, those long throws, we were saying to him that one of the ways we got quite a few goals last season was mm-hmm. the long throw doesn't work, but the opposition are still stuck in the penalty area, yeah. and when the ball comes back out, we know Tozer is there. Yeah, he's a good crosser of the ball with either foot. And we know we can hit him early. You don't have to look and think, where is he? We know where he is. Bang a quick ball over him without thinking. And he can either create an overload or stick across. And then we've often scored from those secondary set pieces, was, if you will. Was that what happened to Oldham when Toza scored? Mm, can't remember. Don't, it was a corner, I Was think. it a corner? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a corner. Yeah, right. Or a free kick. But I think it was a corner. But, but again, when I'm making notes for the highlights... A lot of the incidents that I've noted down as worthy of putting into the highlights have started with a toes of throw. Now, yeah. maybe they haven't gone in, but that's not toes' fault. Yeah. He's put the ball yeah. in there, something's happened as a result of him putting it in there, and we've had a chance on goal. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about the any oh, gosh, no, efficacy not, of his set pieces, like you said. It's just fans have something to worry, moan about all the time, even oh, if yeah. they're scoring four goals, you know. You've got to, haven't you? No. No, I actually agree with you, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> you can't change other people, Neil. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Although, darn it, I'll try. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and, I'll, I'll try and convert some, some Wrexham player into a different type of player, and then I'll 
So I can't. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. No, no, I don't. And I so you're going to take credit for it then as well. But yeah, exactly. You, you've got to you, do you it. You can change other people. I am. I am that man. <laughs> I will help you to give up snorkeling or whatever it is you want to give up. Anyway, that that was a succinct end to the segment, wasn't it? I thought it was very, very smooth. Mm-hmm. I thought I'm proud of myself. Come back, Che. Where are you? Oh, che, of course. Yeah, Che, of course, has taken up the offer to go on. I'm a celebrity, and so we're going to sack him. <laughs> I thought that was you, Mark. Uh, no, Che beat me to it, unfortunately. Uh, they went for him first. That surprised yeah. me, Mark, no. with all your... It's uh, another reason why I'm sacking yeah. him, to be honest with you. You know, your international notoriety. You know, well, I thought you'd been you know, first out there. True. I can see you jumping from that helicopter already. No parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's just wishful thinking on your part. I'm just... Uh, the fans have missed you, Mark. I'm upset now. But when I'm watching him eating kangaroo anus on ITV2, <laughs> I, I'll suddenly get over it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, anyway, let's take it. Let's take a breather, and then after this, we'll talk about the first part of the major problems Wrexham faced this century. I'm Kerry Evans, and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. Right now. Crisis at the racecourse. We need to look back at that. Major, major crisis, wasn't it, Mark? And we're going to focus on the Hamilton Gutterman years this time. And then next time we'll look at what happens subsequently as well. The reason we're doing this, at least in part, is because it's a story that needs to be told. And also because Welcome to Wrexham has brought up a lot. Maybe omitted a lot of the important things that went on that... Virtually, which saved our club in many ways. Oh, 100%. Yeah, um, yeah. And to be fair, it's difficult to get that sort of story done in detail in that sort of format. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And a lot of people who not know anything about the club are interested yeah. and want to know more. And so we thought perhaps it'd be opportune to to tell the story over the course of a couple of weeks and... Let people see what happens. Definitely, you know, to, to give it to the wider audience. Even the new fans that's come on board in the UK and locally in Wrexham, yeah. I think, need to, mm. to know exactly what the club went through at that time where we, you know, we knew we went out of business. You know, uh, if, down, yeah. if Hamilton would go away with it, there'd be being mm-hmm. Q Car Park on, on the race course now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we've only got the, fa- the fans, a small minority of fans, to thank for mm. saving our football club to yeah. where we are today and, you know, for Rob and Ryan to be able to come in and buy it. Through you know the trust took over, steadied the ship, kept it running, you know, at a you know I know there was no profit, but they they were never in the black or in the red, sorry. Um, hence why Rob and Ryan came in to buy it because you know there was no debt within the club, um, and that was you know, the trust did a fantastic job in the time that they they run the club, and you know there was nobody else to come forward to buy the club at the time. Perfect. Well, that's the end of this segment. And <laughs> now, please enjoy 25 minutes of dead air. <laughs> no, but we can go now into detail of you know how it, yes. how it all started. You know, yeah. that Gusterman came in as a front to knee and slow, slow down. Okay, <laughs> slow down. I'll let you take it. Take it, Mark. Well, we've got 25 minutes to fill the old. I know, but there's a lot to tell about 25 minutes. Uh, only the Hamilton got the ones this time, though. So um, we've got half the story this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, worth setting a bit of context, I think, isn't it? Yeah. The, the club has the glory days in the 70s. Yeah. We did spend a lot, though, as well, at that time. Yeah. We built the Yale stand, or the Brexham Lager stand, as it and, now is. And we had a great chairman at that time in Price Griffiths. Yeah, yeah. We built the stand behind the goal as well, which is now the, you know, the end. Macron's stand yeah. or the university, university stand, tech end, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so that's two new stands that, that were built. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think it sort of cost us because we ended up selling high-quality players like Mickey Thomas, Bobby Shinton, partly because we had to fund the outlay. Because unfortunately, the books. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, our glory days coincided with the time of recession in Britain and the 80s. We collapsed down the leagues to the what's now League Two, and we had a series of financial issues, and the 10 years of the 80s are the lowest average crowd in the club's history. I can remember coming to Wrexham and watching Halifax, and it was like 1,300 there on a yeah. cold Tuesday night in, in February, you know? Well, I, I, a very similar recollection. I remember very clearly us playing Hartlepool on mm-hmm. a cold Tuesday night, and it was the first time I'd ever been in a crowd lower than 1,000. Wow. And I just remember wow. thinking, ooh, that's what, that's what this feels like. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, considering when we started watching this club in the mm-hmm. you know in the mid seventies when there was twenty, for yourself. 20 plus thousand fans in the ground, you know, right. packed into the ground. Yeah, yeah. To go down to that within you know ten, fifteen years was was quite exactly. dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Well, less than that maybe because that was I remember Jim Steele scored the winning goal in that game. Mm-hmm. So that's early-ish to mid eighties and late seventies. We were still getting five-figure crowds regularly yeah. for league matches. So yeah, it's quite shocking that. <coughs> And although this is not something we're going into detail here, I mean, it should be pointed out that the old Supporters Association, which still exists, um, but has a different role now, uh, saved the club in the mid-80s because they launched the SOS campaign just to save our soccer, it was called. And I remember they used to have a caravan in the the club car park. And it was just just basically putting on events and, and, and holding collections just to give the club money. There was nothing nefarious going on then. There just was no money. Was it the time that they actually came up with that phone number as well? Was that then, or was that a bit later where you dialed in number? It was like a premium rate number, and you, you it gave a pound every time that you donated? That was a bit later, I think, was it? wasn't it? I think. Like, I could be wrong. Because I remember doing, hosting a Christmas party at work down in yeah. Cornwall, and I got everybody in the room to phone this oh, number brilliant. to win a prize. <laughs> and the prize was like some Wrexham orientated, but they yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> So I got about 50 people. I said, tell me the first two words when, you, when they pick up the phone. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Had to be done. So you, did you provide the prize? I did. I did. And what was the prize? I can't remember, Mark. It's so many years ago. It was that good. <laughs> so I'm not a Wrexham fan. Well, none of them were Wrexham yeah. fans. So whatever. What is it? 400 miles away? Must have been yeah. thrilled no, to receive a... Oh, no, no, no. I, I took quite a few of them up to Cardiff. Oh, fair yeah, 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 yeah. For any reason, or just for the... For just the they're the football Cardiff. fans. They're football fans, and you know, they enjoyed the game. Which game? For the, for LDV. the LDV fans. Ah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. we took them. <laughs> I was wondering if you just took them then, just to, no, just no, to no, see no. Charlotte I did, Church I did, in action on Saturday I didn't tie them all up and throw them in the back of the car <laughs> saying, you come to Wrexham, come to Cardiff to watch Wrexham. No, 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 they came on their own accord. Fair play. And we had balloons as well hanging out the car, but they disappeared after five miles because it was too windy as it was so fast. So. <laughs> I wonder where they are now. Exactly, yeah. Uh, now, uh, you mentioned Price Griffiths earlier. Uh-huh. He took over the club. And, and yeah. I mean, firstly, because he is a controversial figure in Wrexham I guess although I've, I'm very sympathetic to him but he's there's no question when I mean, he used to call him Mr Wrexham there's no question that he was a committed was, Wrexham yeah. supporter wasn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah definitely so committed Wrexham supporter and you know mm. what was that? <laughs> well we're recording this the day after Halloween so maybe that was something uh, I think there may be dragging tables around next door I'm not sure I'm hoping so. Doesn't put me at all that much ease, <laughs> even if they are. But anyway, <laughs> but let them carry on with their backyard autopsy. 
<laughs> but Price Griffiths was was a genuine. Yeah, he was fan a local chap. I mean, yeah, yeah, big big fan of the club, and you know, I think he, his heart was in the right place. Mm. But whether he had the finances to bolster the club's coffers, I'm not too sure. But mm. uh, he ran it for a number of years, you know, as a chairman. So, and he did a pretty decent job. I mean, he was the chairman when Flynn had all his glory days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the famous cliche about Price Griffiths was that he helped to build the cop take wheelbarrows of cement across, you know, volunteers helping to build it, having stood on it as a kid. And I always remember when we played West Ham in the FA Cup in 1992, him walking around the pitch at Upton Park before the match, clapping the fans and everybody going crazy because he was a very well-loved character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the point, isn't it? That he was an old-fashioned club owner in the sense of a local, a local biz- business one. He yeah. loved the club and wanted to do his best. Yeah. And that... Only takes you so far, although in those days, you know, that, that still could be further than it would be now when there would be all the oligarchs coming in. Um, but there were financial issues later on in his time. We took on a, a new director, Jeff Farrell, who was very ambitious and wanted to change things around and, and modernise things a lot. But there was a lot of friction and he ended up leaving the board and making a lot of angry complaints about how the club was run. And then coinciding with that, since so at the start of the 2001-2 season, Bryce was taken ill at a yeah. game at Wickham. And I think a combination of all these different things, and the fact we did have financial issues at the time, I think made him feel it was probably time to, to sell, didn't it? And so <coughs> he did, and this is where he becomes controversial because he sells the club to parties under whom... We do not flourish. I am saying that in a very careful, legalistic manner, shall yeah. we say. Mm-hmm. You can't sue me for saying that. Um, he's blamed for that, but I would say he was not, as far as we know, given the full story. Mm. Um, and he acted in good faith. And so, like I said, whereas a lot of people felt yeah. he'd let the club down by selling to the wrong people. But did you uh, know the yeah. end game or what their plan was? Maybe Precisely. not. Yeah, I, I, I really think yeah. it's unfair maybe on him. Maybe a bit, that. bit naive, maybe. Maybe so, yeah. 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 Although I, I, I will hold my hands up and say that the person who appeared to be buying the club was Mark Gutterman, who yeah. had previously been chairman at Chester. Mm-hmm. He'd taken them into administration. They'd been relegated from the Football League. At the time, I felt, well, okay, that isn't a great CV, but it's not proof of anything dubious. No. And... I'll do be now. But, I mean, Price Griffiths, I assume, would have the same sort of feeling of, well, I'm looking to sell. He's willing to buy. Mm -hmm. There's, There's nothing in... Failing to run a football club that makes you, you know, unworthy of selling. To. Yeah. So I, I feel that was a situation Griffiths was in, and I think that the criticism of him is harsh. He is at a point where he had to hand it over to somebody, and Guzman was a person who appeared to be making the offer. And, and it's got to be said as well, initially, things seemed okay on the surface. Um, I mean, very memorable to me. Wrexham got relegated, but... The first game of the next season, horribly, at Scunthorpe, Wayne Phillips had a terrible injury, broke his leg and couldn't carry on playing. Um, Gutterman said, I'm still going to honour his contract for the rest of the season, and that yeah. felt honourable. Mm-hmm. Wrexham get promoted 
that season. He seems to... I remember interviewing him, and I tell you what, I was suckered in by it all. I was delighted we'd got promoted straight away. He seemed thrilled, and things seemed all right. But then 2004, it turns out that actually Alex Hamilton had bought the club in 2002. Not Mr. Gutterman. Not Mr. Gutterman, who was a business associate. Now, I've got to... I've got to say this first. In 2010, when Alex Hamilton finally was taken to court over what happened at Wrexham, the judge found him guilty on some counts, which we'll get to, but he said there were were no findings of him being a shadow director or of him being dishonest, which obviously is not, doesn't mean either of those things weren't true, and uh, because most Wrexham fans would feel they were, but in law, it was not proven. So I have to say that first. I think yeah, it's only yeah. fair that I say mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah, of course. But his his reputation wasn't great, was it? He'd been disbarred by the Law Society, um, although he won he he, he won on appeal on, on most grounds, not all grounds. He'd also had a successful compensation claim against him by two female employees who sued him because they said he'd been discriminatory and sacked them because they got pregnant and they won their case. But as well, nobody knew who he was. Who he was, and suddenly he, it turns out he he was, was he a the man developer as well. He was a solicitor. Mm-hmm. When he has his, shall we say, issues mm-hmm. with the law society, he decided to rebrand himself as a property developer. And we were sitting, of course, on the race course, weren't we? Yep. Lock, stock, and barrel. Yep. Prime part of town. Yep. Gateway to Wrexham. Yeah, and at the time was valued at around 10 million yeah. if it was built on. Yeah. Um, I'll let you guys do the maths <laughs> about this. Now, the grounds owned by, it was owned then by right. a brewery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marston, was it? It was, well, at that point, it was Wolverhampton and Dudley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, the, the ground was always owned by a brewery, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. Rexham would pay a peppercorn rent. So we were paying a £1 a year rent to the brewery to play in the race course. Um, Hamilton, as the owner of the club, convinced the brewery that as the club was in dire financial straits, that they should sell the ground to him as the club. And they agreed to do so. And so we we bought the ground, or the club oh, bought the ground for £300,000. And on the same day, it was transferred to a company owned by Alex Hamilton called Damon's. That's the one. So... We've suddenly handed an asset across, uh, <laughs> you know, hmm, this feels a bit dubious, so we say. But we didn't know this at the time, did we? No. Um, we were then charged £30,000 rent rather than the £1 by Hamilton. And as was shown on a documentary that was aired in 2004 on the BBC, on the weekend Week Out programme, they had uh, specialists in... in property law saying on the face of that this does not look legal you, you can't see a director legally has to act in the interest of his company well it can't be in the interest of a company to transfer a asset straight out on the day that the company's paid for it for nothing and then start to charge that that yep. company rent astronomical rent and then he went further and on july 2004 gave the club a year's notice 
yeah. to get out. He was going to build a new stadium, supposedly yeah. outside of the outside of Wrexham. Yeah, he, he was a bit like Chester's ground, and we didn't really want that. Well, if if people don't know, Wrexham Football Ground is so ideally located for all transport links. You're right next to the railway station, literally a minute to walk away. Yeah, and then you've got the main road, literally a minute the other way, which will take you from South Wales to to North Wales and to Chester beyond. So it's it's in a prime prime location where it's situated in the, in the, in the town, walkable from town centre as yeah. well. It's about yeah. ten minutes or so, yeah. isn't it? Fifteen maybe mm-hmm. if you if you fancy stopping on the way to look at a if you mark wants to go to get a coffee or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, just get yeah. held up by people asking for selfies in North Grafton. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, always a, it's always a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's a perfect spot, but. As Neil just gestures cleverly, knowing I wouldn't mention it, ten minutes left. But I just thought he was uh, impersonating my goalkeeping sweet style. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's out here, Mark. Yeah, not like that. Fair point. Well, not the way I play. Um, now the thing is that um, at this point, the managing director John Reams breaks cover and basically says, "I'm not happy mm-hmm. with what Hamilton's doing." And I've got I've got an artefact here, but so if you're listening to this, I'm afraid it's not very isn't helpful. Is this when the fans got involved as well, though, Mark? Well, I think this sort of thing, this is when it coincides, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just want to show this, if you're watching it on the video, though, this Wrexham programme from the, near the start of this season. So John Reams, the managing director, decides he's unhappy with what Hamilton's doing. He feels it's acting contrary to the interests of the club. And so he writes a really incendiary piece for the programme. Essentially... Well, I mean, I can say this because it's what Ream said, and he said it on TV. Mm-hmm. He he accused Hamilton of acid stripping. Yeah. And if you open up the programme, you can probably just about make up, if you're watching it on TV, just about make out the section where it's been ripped out. Because every programme, when Hamilton realised what had happened, was collected in and torn out of the, you of it. That. Yeah. So... The local papers, of course, got a hold of it because Reams, it's not as if he, you know, yeah. it's not as if he hasn't got his own copy of it. Mm-hmm. So it did get public. And ironically, probably Hamilton got more publicity for Reams's point yeah. because he did that and therefore it was a newspaper. Yeah. But yeah, so he complained that he was not consulting with the board over making big decisions like the land being transferred. Mm-hmm. Um, he complains that the club was in substantial debt. Now, I've seen two different stories in the same day on the BBC website, one claiming two and a half million in debt, one claiming five million. So I think two and a half is more realistic. Yeah. What's definitely true is that we owed £800,000 to the, to the revenue. Yeah. yeah. And Reams said he felt he could get £200,000. If, if, if Hamilton would give him £200,000, he could, he could satisfy the inner revenue. Um, he said that Hamilton had given him written assurances a number of occasions he was going to do that, but he never gave that. And the club was was On issued with a winding up yep. order and mm-hmm. was in major, major trouble. And like you said, the fans get involved then, don't they? They do, yeah. I think the fans, you know, in the way of, you know, there was an undercover group, should we say, called the Jimmies. Yes. Who, that's what they called themselves, who did a lot of undercover investigation work, which sussed out a lot of this and what was going on and what Mr Hamilton was doing behind the scenes, what he was doing. They actually went and, I think, played tennis on his tennis That's right, yes. Yeah. Just to, <laughs> to let him know that, you know, we're keeping an eye on him. Um, and without these fans, whoever the Jimmies were, because a lot of the time nobody knew who they were. They were these mm. so-called undercover investigators working on behalf of the, the Wrexham fans. Mm. And, and they were a great bunch of lads. And they used to sell a magazine as well called The Jimmy. Yeah. 
the yeah, dismal Jimmy. Dismal like, Jimmy outside the ground before games, you know, informing the fans of mm. what they've come up with and what they've found, you know. Um, and I think without them and what they pulled up and yeah. what they, they drug up, dug, dug up and what they found out, the club wouldn't be here today, no. you know. I mean, it's, they did so much good work and never mm. had any recognition for what they did. Although, you know, a lot of the time we didn't know who they were because they're not would come forward. There was another chap called Kenny Pemberton, yeah, yeah. who was a solicitor, and he, he bought a pink taxi. <laughs> and that became the symbol of the Wrexham fans fighting for our survival. We did marches through the town. We marched to the stadium from the centre of town, you know. So many things were organised in protest of what was actually going on. There were protests inside the ground, red card protests, all kinds of things, you know. Because we weren't happy what was, what was going on. And we could see that the club was going to fold. You know, we, we weren't going to have a Wrexham football club at all. We'd all have to start them again from scratch. No ground, no club, no team. Yeah. There you and go. it was quite scary. Mm-hmm. The, the, the protests uh, where he lived in the Cheshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, there is footage of it. About eighty there fans is. went along, and it's it's quite a joyous protest. It is, yeah, be yeah, said. Yeah. There's nothing mm-hmm. no. illegal nothing going sinister on. Nothing or anything about it. No. Yeah, they, but it was. They just want to let them know we yeah. know where you live, basically. That does well. sound sinister, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, but also I think to, to make the point to his neighbours of this is what your neighbour is doing. Yeah, uh, the idea that this is a well-heeled, you know, sort of countryside town, mm-hmm. uh, wealthy people probably won't enjoy having this hassle happening and this noise on a Sunday morning. They brought loads of red balloons, and they, they, secu- they said there were two security guards on the gate, so they couldn't on that occasion get onto his property. But they threw lots of balloons with Wrexham badges on over the over the gate, and they went around leafleting and knocking on people's doors of all his neighbours to explain to yeah. them what and was going on. I must say, this is all self-funded by the yeah. fans itself at the time, you know, mm. um, which was great. And, and then there was other initiatives, you know, but Mark will carry on with the story. Well, I'm just thinking we, we can't tell this story without talking about Mr Hamilton's adventure on the cop. Yeah, we? yeah, when he travelled around the ground, you know, yeah. he was maybe looking for somebody to... Assaulted, maybe we don't know. We'll never know, I guess. And the stewards, you know, picked him out and they escorted him out of the ground. Well, I think plenty of people who met him would argue he was quite, how shall I put this, irascible, could be. And there certainly seemed to be provocative behaviour at this point Mm -hmm. because he'd just before then done an interview in which he called the Rexman fans, and I quote, low life scum. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not your chat up a girl, is it, you know? (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Maybe in Wrexham, no. Well, but actually, yeah, in Wrexham. You got a 50-50 shot there, to be fair. Um, so he then turns up all of a sudden on the cop yeah. for a match. Mm-hmm. And there is a feeling of, why is he doing this? Is he looking to provoke an assault so that he can say, well, look at what they're like. They're all awful. What I said was true. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it backfires on him, though, because the fans do not react in that way they, they shout abuse at him they laugh at him but they don't and the police are furious yeah. so the police come and they take they escort him out of the cop and essentially tell him that he should not come to the ground that he, that he owns, owns anymore because he will cause a civil disturbance so <laughs> what a bizarre thing to, to do but then the, the crux of it comes, He, the club at that point owned two other substantial bits of property, Stansty and Collier's oh, Park. Yeah. He transfers Stansty to himself for £90,000, but the paperwork isn't signed on the club's part. 
so that straight away is not a legal transfer automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, also, forty thousand of the eighty thousand Wrexham paid to Lex Eleven to buy the ground has not been paid yet. So there's also a legal issue here of the, you know the, the, the transaction before has not been completed. And then he does the thing which ultimately makes the big difference, which is that on a week in which our power was cut off for a day by ManWeb and on which the players were not getting paid and staff were not getting paid, he attempts to bring his PA, Gail Stubbs, into the club as a board member. There are two other board directors, Dave Griffiths and Dave Bennett, two long-standing Wrexham fans who had the club interest at heart that, quite frankly, I think he thought they'd be straightforward to... Yeah. To push around, he misjudged that massively. They stand their ground and say no, and in that act, I would argue they save our football club. They do. Is that when he signed a napkin saying no That's resign? Right. He grabs a Coca-Cola cup memo yeah. pad and scribbles on it, I resign, and, and signs it. To them. And it's a huge mistake. He tries to retract it under the advice of Stubbs and goes to the media to say, I have not resigned. I retract my resignation. You can't do that. And the thing is that the, the process, been. yeah. The process is once you've resigned, and he had, he then has to call an extraordinary general meeting to be reappointed, which he would win because he owns 78% of the shares. Yeah. But you can't do that for two weeks. And so the two Daves, as they were known, acted decisively. They consulted with the trust. Yeah. And the trust At made this an time, offer. The, the, the trust had been formed, isn't yes. it? Yes. Oh, we haven't talked about that. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I mean, they, mm. they, they were looking at you know for membership from from the fans, and at that time there weren't that many fans to become trust members. But no. um, we were, we were all asked to pay just ten pound mm. a year for membership of the trust, and fans got together to raise other, you know to to raise funds as, as they could. You know, the mm. two guys for the two thousand and five, um, Lee and Wayne walked all the way down from Cardiff. Yeah. Uh, Wrexham to Cardiff raising monies um, for the club for the trust collecting all the way down um, we had bucket collections in quite a few grounds I remember Anfield was a huge bucket collection night yeah. and they raised a lot of money I think we did Huddersfield as well and a lot of the home games we had um, bucket collections for where the fans uh, you know contributed to, to the run of the club and I was going to Bradford and Bradford raised a lot for us yeah as well. and, and for the coffers of the trust to, to, to give some financial clout mm-hmm. to the trust so they could go ahead and, and put a proposal in to buy the yeah. take over the club um, so a lot of initiatives came in you know to, to raise funds and you know every fan you know during the time it, I mean it might have only been around 3,000 but they all contributed to try and save the club mm-hmm. and without that trust board and the people set before to give up their free time there wouldn't have been a club here today. Exactly, exactly. It was a remarkable period in history when the club's fans stood up to try and save their club. Did, yeah. the, the trust made an offer to buy the club. Uh, Reams had already stated that he'd previously got a two million bid together, which had been rejected by Hamilton. Reams felt it was more than reasonable because Hamilton had paid one million to buy the club. Yeah. Um, but Hamilton rejected the trust biz. There was talk of Gutterman, who by this point had fallen out with Hamilton, which hadn't helped either party because they were sniping at each other and revealing details about their plans in public. It was talk he'd make a two and a half million bid, but the administrators were called in. Um, the club had a choice really between liquidation and administration. administration. And administration was the right route to go. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wrote off you know, quite yeah. a bit of our debt. Um, and that's how the, the, the trust were able to function and take over the club in the end. Yeah. And, and it, well, that was after, that was later, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. The trust, but, uh, but the trust initial attempt wasn't accepted. 
But the thing is, the ministers came in and immediately felt that there would be illegal activity. There was also interest from Sports Council Wales because they'd put a million into building the Bold Road stand. Yeah. And then they were saying, well, hold on a second. Can we see the terms of your lease? Because we don't fund public works so that an individual can benefit from it. Yeah. So there was a lot of there were a lot of issues. And once the administrators had got their fees under the table, they said, this is when it goes to court. And they took it to court, claiming that land transfers were illegal. And they won. Yeah. And the ground saved the club. Saved the club. The ground comes back into the club's ownership. Yeah. And uh, Hamilton, having had that setback, has to wait another five years before the actual personal case against him from the government is heard in 2010. And he is barred from being a company director. Uh, although, like I said, that was when they said they couldn't prove dishonesty or that he'd been a secret director, if you will. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to tell about that, but that's there in a nutshell what happened with Gutman and Hamilton, isn't mm-hmm. it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And next time we can... Yeah, the fans were great, weren't they? You know, oh, astonishing. Demonstrations, yeah. you know, just putting it out there, mm-hmm. walking through the town. You know, like myself, I've told you many times, Mark, I was living down in Cornwall. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I wonder how can I raise funds for our trust to keep our club going? And I came up with the idea of... I mean, you've seen all the letters from the yeah, club, yeah. which I've showed you. And I collected every football league and Premiership shirt, all signed by the, you know, by the teams, and um, auctioned off for fifteen thousand pounds, which was bought by eventually by a man from Anglesey, mm. and that was my contribution. It took twelve months to get that collection in. Um, we paraded it around Millennium Stadium. We tra- uh, half it we paraded around Wrexham here before the Fans United game, I think. Mm. Um, Fans United, Brighton fans, we've got a member as well, you know, because they were fantastic in our fight to save the club as well. And, and our Fans United Day, where we had, you know, fans from over 70 clubs at the ground just to, you know, boost our coffers yeah. to, to bring money into the club. Mm. And that's why we love this club, you know, we, it's, it's in our heart, you know, and, and we've been through a struggle, and it's nice to see that we're secure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. after all the tough times yeah. we've been through, it's it's lovely to see that we're secure and we've got great owners in charge and all that fighting and travelling and you know not fighting but fighting to save the club and what we actually went through was all worth it because where we yeah. are today. Exactly right. And the scary thing, of course, is that was half the story. Yeah, it because is. Because sadly, we go through the same thing almost immediately again. So mm-hmm. that, that's that for Dragonheart this week. Yeah. But we will go on to tell the rest of the story next week. And there's plenty more to tell and also plenty more to focus on, on you, Neil, because you, in what you just described then, you are one of those heroes who saved this, the, our club and we should always be grateful to you. So we'll we'll be embarrassing you next time by, by showering you with praise. But... Uh, for that, we better go uh, to the match that was played last night right. now, yes. haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we so have, I, I hope we, we, have, we hope, have to be there by five yeah. o'clock. I hope we did well. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. This was Dragon Hearts. This is the final whistle podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.